I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. Adam, it's a little bit of a different post-game recap, given that the Broncos aren't playing and they aren't in the NFL playoffs, but we felt it was a good idea to to do a post-game recap, given that it, it is the playoffs and it's the one of the best weekends of the NFL with Wild Card Weekend, and we were credited with four great games, and here we are. And I think my biggest takeaway from all this all these great games is that we're not going to be a split fan base having some Broncos fans rooting for the chiefs to beat the Patriots, which is still nonsense to me, but at least we can all be normal people and root against the chiefs now. Yeah. I I totally agree with you on that. It's funny because last season um, you did have that sort of, that vibe of you there were half half of the Bronco fans out there wanted Tom Brady and the Patriots to beat the Chiefs the other half wanted Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs to beat the Patriots and uh it's funny because we are I guess I guess 
we are what you would consider old school Denver Bronco fans, right? We are we are from that old school of the the teams that you have to beat, the teams that we hate the most are the Raiders and the Chiefs. And then and then past that, you do have the Patriots because of the recency of of their um I guess their sort of dynasty or their run that they've been on for the last however many years, which is close to 20 now. But also we've talked about Broncos rivals being uh, you know, the Steelers and we've talked about the Seahawks and we've talked about other teams. And so it is nice that we won't have that split fan base. We can all just equally hate the chiefs this, this coming week because we should all just equally hate the chiefs and, and that's fine. Uh, but it was for a wild card weekend. It was a pretty wild, wild card weekend. We had some, some good games and some, some fun things to watch. And I, I think for me, the, the biggest takeaway, and I, I've seen a few people talk about this and, and tweet this out, and it is kind of an interesting sort of thing to look at. The Broncos beat two of the teams that won in the playoffs this week, and they should have beaten a third one in the Minnesota Vikings had they uh, held on to that big lead that they had against them. So, I mean, the Broncos beat the Texans and the Titans, and they should have beat the Vikings. That's three teams that all won in the playoffs this week. That, to me, is as far as like an indicator of how good your team is or isn't. I know that some people would hear this and go, "Well, that doesn't really matter. It's regular season and, and any given Sunday, and blah 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 blah." Right? But it is a a positive way to look at things. I mean, if you think about the the way that they manhandled the Titans, they essentially turned the Tennessee Titans into what they are by ridding them of Marcus Mariota and and sort of ushering in the Ryan Tannehill, uh, I, I guess, what you would, dynasty, the Ryan Tannehill era, if if you will. And then they manhandled the, the Texans, just totally crushed them in Houston. And they should have beat Minnesota. They were killing Minnesota and then disappeared in the second half. The Broncos are a team that is on the ascendancy, and that's a good thing. And so... What you saw in the in the wild card round was some really good football games, and also uh, a, a a few teams that won that the Broncos either beat or should have beaten had things really gone a slightly different way. Now, and especially with the Houston game, the fact that Drew Locke played as well as he did in his first road game is is still what stands out to me on what could be because despite what you want to say about Houston and they probably didn't take the Broncos seriously and they were going to, they, they probably realized and thought, Oh, the Broncos aren't anything. And we're playing a rookie quarterback in his second game. We don't need to do anything to win this game. And they got punched in the mouth, but regardless, Drew Locke and the Broncos still made plays. They still, as you said, basically steamrolled the Texans in Houston so I, I absolutely think that's a positive sign. And I, what I worry about now after these four great games with two going to overtime is now we're going to get nothing but blowouts in the divisional weekend, but that we can save that for our next podcast. And we, we haven't recorded two of, the, two of the last weeks on our normal schedules just because of the holiday, and we figured that no one would be wanting to listen to us yammer about the Broncos and and what's going on over their holiday. So that's the I mean, reason for not if they having a normal though, schedule. If if you if you did though, sorry we weren't there for you and happy holidays and Christmas and New Year and Kwanzaa and Hanukkah all wrapped into one there and 
Uh, so yeah, sorry we missed you, but we're we're back now, and and it's happy Drew year. It's happy Drew year. That's oh, I love that. That's that's really good. I didn't know. I didn't see it coming, and I really liked it. I I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that immensely. So. Uh, but we did get some, we got some great games this weekend. So we really did. You know, that's a, a nice little playoff Christmas present, if you will. What do you think was the the best game of the weekend? You know, for for me, for my money, the best game to watch was the Houston uh, Buffalo game. It was it was the most exciting as far as uh, the sort of the back and forth. Um, the way that that ended, the fact that I still think they should have fired Bill O'Brien uh, before the game ended because he decided not to kick a field goal and go up by six, allowing Buffalo to mount sort of a weird comeback with Josh Allen trying really hard to throw the game, literally throw the game away, uh, and then not being able to and and still sort of taking them down and tying the game and then getting into overtime. That that finish was just crazy. It was It was so, like, nuts but the one that was maybe the most satisfying was the new england tennessee game right when tennessee goes into new england and smacks new england in the mouth and and puts an end to the I, people keep saying it's the end of a dynasty i'm not sure that it's an end of the dy- of a dynasty but it just it eliminated the patriots from the playoffs and i'm fine with that so i, I had two i think <laughs> What was so interesting about how the the Houston Buffalo game ended, it seemed like both Bill O'Brien and Sean McDermott were trying to to channel their inner Andy their their inner Andy Reid for who's going to screw up the game and clock management the worst. Because I still don't understand why Sean McDermott went for it on fourth down and didn't punt. That was, As you that said, I have no idea why Bill O'Brien didn't kick a field goal. It was Dumb. just like, all right. Who's gonna? Who wants to lose this game? It was like they kept telling each other to hold each other's beer. Like it was so. It was so. I'm gonna one up your stupidity. Like that's how it sort of. It that's how it finished. And and again. And then Josh Allen said, "Here, hold both of my beers because I'm gonna make you two guys look like geniuses." Yeah, I, I mean, it was it was hilarious. But I I do want to say, and I, I, this is one that I think kind of hurts. I. Coming out of college, I always liked Deshaun Watson. I think there are a lot of people that did. He, in this game, really did show that he is in, is is on the edge of being, if he isn't already, an elite quarterback in the NFL. And that play in overtime where he gets slammed into from both sides by Buffalo Bills defenders, ends Sounds up kinky. on his feet and, and just keeps going, that was, dare I say, that was Elway-esque. I, I I thought the same thing as I saw it, and I, as I told you before we started recording, it don't get me wrong. I completely love the fact that Tom Brady and the Patriots lost, and I think what makes it even better is they did it to a head coach who not only used to play for the Patriots but looks like an '80s porn star. He does. <laughs> I, Mike Mike Vrabel is. I, I think that's actually his porn name. Like if if we had to. If you had to assign somebody a porn name, that's his porn name. I don't know what his real name is, but Mike Vrabel is his porn name because I, I think he just started putting letters together, and that's what he ended up with. I will say that I, even on Twitter at the time, I mocked Vrabel's decision to punt in that situation instead of going for it because I said John Fox loves that because I'm never going to pass up a John Fox quip. 
But I totally understood it because he knows the defense he has. And they were able to shut down Tom Brady and they got the ball back. And then despite the fact that Tannehill struggled through some of the some of that game, that completion he made on third down was also very Elway-esque. As I think back to the, the game at Three River Stadium against the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC Championship game when he completed that pass to Shannon Sharp to send them to Super Bowl 32. That was a huge play by Ryan Tannehill. But I, I still, as much as I love the fact that the Patriots lost, I want the Chiefs to lose more than anything. Yeah, that's that's at the top of the list. I did. I I, I want to go back just a, a touch though to that New England Tennessee game. It was also enjoyable to watch Mike Vrabel, Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick. You know what oh, I'm saying? Oh, that was so perfect with, with the the penalties and the way that he played that with the the delay of game and then the the. <laughs> the, false, the start. false start that was so obvious like dude you didn't even try and act it out you just were like ah, i false started you guys hey false start over here this guy like <laughs> like and then it, that gamesmanship and to watch bill belichick sort of have that meltdown on the sideline like he can't do that that's that's what i do was, I'm being out Bill Belichick. So it was so I, I, perfect. I, I would I would not be surprised if Bill Belichick thought at that moment, hey, he's probably recording our sideline too. Yeah, and you know what? He probably was. And uh, but he probably did it in a smarter way than having somebody in a I don't know, a, a Nashville Predators jersey go up there with a big old like camcorder VCR recorder like standing up there cuz that's how that's how you do it if you're from New England. You just wear your Boston Bruins uniform and you're like look at my jersey i'm from boston that's not my boston accent and i'm not doing one for you but instead he just had somebody just wear like a polo and, and use his camera phone because actually i would hope that vrabel would actually have the person wearing a boston bruins sweatshirt it would have been that would have been slick that would have been nice i would have liked that so in I, terms of the first nfc game i i do feel sorry i i do feel for for new orleans saints fans because the way they've lost the last three playoffs, and you could probably even go back the last 10 years since the last time they were in the Super Bowl, because it all started with that beast mode run in Seattle. And now you lose to Kirk Cousins on a, in my opinion, a clearly offensive pass interference by Kyle Rudolph. Yeah, it was a push off. And it's funny because, and I told you this before we started, I didn't get to watch the whole game. Like my, my son and I watched the first half and then we had to leave because he had a, a a baseball camp thing that he was doing where he was, you know, hitting and pitching camp and whatever. And, you know, nothing like taking a seven-year-old to learn from some high school kids. And, uh, you know, I had some people checking scores and whatnot. And by the time it you know, we got done with one of the camps. So one of the guys we were there with said, oh, I got to, you know, his wife's a Minnesota Vikings fan. He said, I got to see what I'm going home to. And then we get home, like we leave and we drive home. And, and I, I'm like, well, what happened in the game? We turn it on. And the the play that popped up first was that push off. And I, I said to my son, oh, that's pass interference. That's, that you know, my guess is that's probably like a controversial call here. Let's see what happened. And then they started talking about it. I was like, oh my gosh this can't keep happening to the saints. Like they can't, it's just, it's, it doesn't seem possible that it just keeps happening, but it does. So, you know, I also saw somebody call Sean Payton, um, one fluke, uh, onside kick 
and a Darren was it a Darren Sharper interception return for a touchdown or whoever interception return for a touchdown uh, away from being Andy Reid 2.0. Oh, I think it was Mace. It was Andrew Mason. Was it Mace that tweeted that? Okay. And then uh, Drew Brees is one Super Bowl away from being Dan Marino. Yeah, he, I mean, he, he essentially is Dan Marino. I, you know what's interesting? Maybe this the, is the cornerback you were thinking of. The pick six against the Colts was Terry Porter. Terry Porter. God, I don't know what Darren Sharper. That guy's in jail. Don't sorry, sorry, Terry Porter. If you're out there listening, that is that was not nice on my part. You are not Darren Sharper, who is in jail for some pretty nasty things. Before you before you get say before you say that I mean the last three years think about this you had the Minneapolis miracle crazy and then you have that blatant pass interference I mean, against the Rams and it's why there's that's why they brought in and instituted the pass interference review and then there's a pass interference on the game deciding touchdown that they don't review they didn't even look at it they're like yeah it's fine it's totally it's the fine. Saints. It's just, it's insane. But it's funny you mentioned uh, Drew Brees is essentially Dan Marino with a with a Super Bowl, and I, I guess. I, so here's my question: Brett Favre won one Super Bowl, right? And Aaron Rodgers has won one Super Bowl. Drew Brees has won one Super Bowl. the The list of quarterbacks that have won one Super Bowl is filled with great quarterbacks and Trent Dilfer's. Right and Rob Johnson's right those, those guys. Does does winning a Super Bowl really change what you are as a quarterback? And I'm saying this as a John Elway fan who uh, who knows that people would look at John Elway differently if he hadn't walked away from the game having won two Super Bowls. But does it really change the type the, the quarterback that you are? You, you understand what I'm asking there? Yeah, I, I, I totally understand it, and I and I get the question. And I think it depends on the type of career that you have. because And I think it's it, – it, instead of being a broad scope for all quarterbacks, I think it needs to be more focused and narrowed on each individual quarterback. So for a guy like John Elway, absolutely. The reason that he's now considered one of the best quarterbacks ever is he was finally able to get over that hump. And he is – He's one of eight quarterbacks to lead a team to back-to-back Super Bowls. So absolutely for John Elway, it's the difference. I think it would make a huge difference for Dan Marino. But I think, would he be able to do – I mean, I, I think about the comparisons between Drew Brees and Dan Marino. And I'm not trying to discredit Drew Brees. He's a phenomenal, phenomenal quarterback. All of fame quarterback. But if, but if you put Dan Marino in today's NFL – Oh. Dan Marino would throw for eight thousand yards a season easily. Oh, it would I mean, be without I, question. I don't. I don't mind saying that Drew Brees is this era's Dan Marino, but I have a problem saying Drew Brees is as good as Dan Marino. Yeah, I, you know it's interesting, and when we have these conversations about quarterbacks, and I, I think when we have this conversation about any player in the NFL, any player group, quarterback, running back, wide receiver it's impossible to talk about them in terms of crossover eras. You you cannot compare eras. It's it's not like baseball or, or even basketball for that matter. I, th- I think baseball uh, more so in, in baseball, you can really cross eras and talk about the greatness of players. You, you know, Babe Ruth 
would have been great today, just as he was, you know, in the 1920s, in the 1930s. Um, you know, Mickey Mantle would have been great today. I, I think if you took Aaron Judge from today, who I think is like a, the, the think of as like a monster right on the field, and put him in the 1930s, he would be very good. He would be Ruthian in his in his play, but he wouldn't be the best player out there. I, I think that he would be one of the best players. It's it's fascinating to me as far as NFL goes and football. When eras change, it changes a player's greatness. And, and what I mean by that is, Dan, you, you bring up Dan Marino. Dan Marino is the perfect example here. It, when the era changed, it it sort of swept Dan Marino to the side and made him great all at the same time. Because people say things like, if Dan Marino played today, he'd throw for 8,000 yards and, and 65 touchdowns in a season. And And think about what he would do in Sean Payton's offense with the rules the way that they are now. I, I mean, I mean, the seriously. I mean, Dan Marino didn't have anything in Miami. He went to one Super Bowl in his rookie year. That's the only thing he ever did because his teams were horrible. Yeah. He had no weapons. You give him Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. Not, not, not Christ fair. almighty. <laughs> it's just not fair. It's just not fair. So. And to get it, to get it back onto the, the games on Sunday for most of the game on Sunday, the saints and drew Brees looked like poop. Yeah, I, I mean that. So when I went back and looked at the highlights, it, they did not look good. I mean, Alvin Kamara sort of reverted back to the late season Alvin Kamara that you usually get, um, and Drew Brees just didn't have a great game. I, I mean, that's just the long and short of it. And, and credit so, credit to Mike Zimmer yeah. and the Vikings for what they were able to go into the Superdome. So it's it's one of those things where I think Minnesota is probably better than we give them credit for. Uh, defensively and good enough offensively with with enough weapons with your Stephon Diggs and your Adam Thielen's and your I mean Dalvin Cook who is an incredible running back they're they're better than I think people really give them credit for because they're not as consistent but that's a team that could really go on a run in the NFC because of the talent that they have and you know, where do you start your run you start your run in your first game and they went on the road and they, they got the job done. And was there a questionable call at the end of the game that screws over the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, there was. But can the Vikings do anything about that? No, they can't. They can just play the game. So you got to give them credit for, for even going into a place that's as hostile as you know the Superdome or the, whatever it's called now in New Orleans and winning a game that they probably shouldn't have won. So, you know. Works for them, I suppose. And then we haven't even talked about Seattle and Philadelphia. I think that the game went as, as I expected because the fact that Philadelphia was even in that position is a testament to Doug Peterson and his coaching staff because of the injuries that they have. Well, and then they, they lose Carson Wentz to a, a head injury, you know, partway through the game. So which I think was I think happening. it was I think it was a cheap shot by Jadavian Clowney. I really do think that was a cheap shot and intentional because a lot of people, I, I saw people saying it, and I agree. If it was in college, he would have been ejected for for targeting. I yeah. think it was absolutely deliberate because I think there was a there was a play after that that was similar where he tried to do the same thing to Josh McCown. Right, and, and I think that that is something that I don't know if the NFL takes a look at that or if the NFL um, does anything about that. But it, it, when they showed it. Uh, in replay and that, you know, they show up from all the different angles and they show it in slow-mo and you get to see it, you see it in a different way than in, in full speed. It, it definitely looks like he's 
he's he's doing something that is is outside the bounds of actual football, right? He's do, he's giving him some little little extracurriculars there, right? He's giving him the business a little too much, and the way that the way that Wentz came down, honestly, first at first glance, it didn't look as bad as I thought. You know what I'm saying? Like it, I, I think that's maybe why it wasn't called for targeting. You can't really call it targeting, but you know what I'm saying? Like it didn't look that bad. I mean, it looked bad, but it didn't look that bad. You're like, oh, that looked that looked rough, but okay. But then when you sort of change angles and you you know slow it down, you start to really see that it was Jadavian Clowney was was probably outside of the normal realm of football. There, I think the scary the scary sight was when Carson Wentz was on the bench and he was looking at one of his uh, iPad things that I think is uh, a a Dell version of it or a Microsoft a Microsoft surface is what they're looking at. So you could see him looking at it and you could see that he wasn't right. You could see that because he, he starts to shake his head and you could tell that he, he just, he wasn't all there. It, and it, it was actually pretty scary to see it. If you go back and look at that, the NBC footage of him sitting on the bench next to Josh McCown. But I, I mean, I have to give massive credit to Zach Ertz because he had kidney issues, broken rib. I th- he had urine in his blood. He or, couldn't or even get out his urine, even or blood. Yeah, blood in his urine, which was urine in your blood. That's pretty. That's pretty talented. But he couldn't even get out of bed earlier this week on his own, and he was out there playing. I, I mean, that that's just a huge testament to him, and the fact that the Eagles were even in this position is a testament to them, but it's not surprising that the Seahawks were able to do that when you consider that they were 7-1 and one on the road. Yeah, the Seahawks were, were one of the best road teams in the NFL. It was, um, I guess they don't like Seattle either. So. <laughs> oh, snap. <laughs> I'm just saying. My, 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 the old man's going to kill me for that. My grandmother's from Seattle. So. <laughs> and in terms of comparisons, I think the closest thing to John Elway we have in the NFL right now is Russell Wilson. Because the things that he's able to do when he gets out of the pocket and keeps plays alive, I mean, even on third and 20, the Seahawks aren't out of it. Right. And I, I remember that, and a huge, uh, there's the word huge again, kudos to Brian Schottenheimer and, and Pete Carroll for that pass on third down to DK Metcalf. I don't know how many coaches in that position would, would put trust in their quarterback to throw and complete that pass like Russell Wilson did, but it, it won them the football game. I wonder how many coaches would look at the analytics and say, well, yeah, we can win the game, but we don't, we don't want to risk the interception and we don't want to, we don't want to keep, we don't want to let them have the timeout. If, if it, if it's incomplete or heaven forbid it get, it, it get, it gets intercepted or Wilson gets sacked so kudos to to Carroll and, and Schottenheimer for for putting the trust in Russell Wilson to make that play because I looked at my wife when it was third down and and Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth are talking about what what will what will they do and Al Michaels asks do you throw it here and there is that pause and I I told my wife I said they're absolutely going to throw it because Pete Carroll puts trust puts trust in his players. He plays to win games. That's what he did at USC. That's what he does with the Seahawks. That's what makes him so popular with his players. So I, I had no doubt that that was what they would call in that moment. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When we were talking about eras and, and whatnot, we live, we're living through an era right now in football where uh, quarterbacks in particular are getting better and better at extending plays. You talk about Russell Wilson being the best at that right now. Uh, you're going to see a guy in, uh, you know, in the divisional round of the playoffs in Baltimore, uh, Lamar Jackson, who I think is uh, taking that to a completely new level. And uh, this will hurt a little bit. Patrick Mahomes is, uh, I-, I think maybe if, if Russell Wilson is one, a he's one B in that area of, taking a play and extending it and and making it last and not just looking to run, right? That's maybe that's more Lamar Jackson styles. He's just looking to run once things break down, but moving around and looking for the receiver down the field and making things happen with his arm. When we talk about Elway extending plays back in the day uh, and in, in his prime, he was, he was clearly the best at that, but you know, some people, somebody's going to tell me Randall Cunningham, and I, I would agree with he was also very good. So whatever. Um, Grant Tarkenton. Grant Tarkenton was also pretty good at it. Roger Staubach sure. was pretty good. Yeah, you can. I mean, there's there's a list. I think Elway sits at the top of that list, but there's a Steve list. Steve Young. Guys. Steve Young. So somebody's going to say Steve Young was better than Elway. No, he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> just stop it. Uh, well, what's what's it? What's so maddening to divert a little bit is Steve Young doesn't know what an RPO is. That is, a and, he, and he, he and he compared RPO. Josh Allen to your guy. Well, you know, Steve has his own ideas about things. You kind of got to, you just go, okay, Steve, and then you and then you move on. But when I say my guy, your guy, it's Trevor Lawrence. Right. He actually compared Josh Allen to Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. He is. He's. You know what? He's. It's funny because now that Drew Locke is is sort of in place, I'm not as worried about Trevor Lawrence other than I really don't want him to go to New England like that's which which it, he, he's going it very to. well it very it's, well could it, happen because if Tom happen. Brady if Tom Brady doesn't go back to New England the New England Patriots are gonna suck yeah, that's what's gonna happen it's that's what's gonna happen so it's just that's the but I don't want to think about, about it that. I think of <laughs> I mean Bill Belichick traded Jimmy Garoppolo he yep. trades J- Jacoby Brissett I, I think it was all with the idea that I'm going to suck in 2021 to get Trevor Lawrence or 2020 to get Trevor Lawrence. He, he, I, you know, he, he probably had some sort of plan, but back to my original point here, I, I do feel like we are living in an era of not necessarily mobile quarterbacks so much as quarterbacks that are better at extending plays that are good at getting outside the pocket and keeping a play alive and not just running, but, but keeping a play alive so that they can throw, which is a skill that has to be developed and one that I think we're, we're actually in a, in a place where we're, we're watching guys get better at that and be better at that sort of on the whole, right back, back in Elway's era, there were guys that were good at it. There were guys that could do it. Uh, you know, we just named a bunch of guys, but it was sort of like you had one or two guys each era that were really good at it right now in the NFL, you could probably name 10 maybe 11 quarterbacks that are really good at extending the play, getting outside the pocket, not not necessarily looking to scramble, but instead really moving around and looking to throw while they're moving around. It's I, I just think that it's a really interesting dynamic in today's NFL. And you think about what guys like John Elway or Dan Marino or Joe Montana could do in today's – NFL. I mean, I think about what a Bill Walsh offense would look like today. 
I mean, what Jerry Rice would be able to do today. I mean, he he's he's the greatest football player to ever put on pads. I have no doubt saying that about Jerry Rice. But if you put him in, in today's NFL where cornerbacks can't do anything to receivers. I, you know what it really does is it, it speaks even more to the greatness of some of these great cornerbacks who have been uh, shut down corners in an era where you're not allowed to touch anybody. And I, I sort of am like Darrell Revis sort of is halfway into that, but guys like Akib Tlaib and Chris Harris, who we had the pleasure of watching as Denver Broncos for a few years, uh, Marcus Peters. I mean, jump in and, and throw some names out there. There are guys Richard who are, Sherman Sherman. There's another one. Thank you guys who have played in an era where you're not allowed to do anything to the receiver or you're going to get called for pass interference and they're shutting guys down. That to me is, it, it speaks to the greatness of some of those cornerbacks who have been able to adjust to an era where they're, you're just not allowed to do the things that you used to be allowed to do. And, and you're absolutely right. Jerry Rice would have destroyed teams just in general. That's how good he was. And if you can't mess with him, you can't touch him, you can't, you can't get anywhere well, near Well, you couldn't him. touch him then, but... <laughs> but it, it was more legal then than it would be now. It, it, it is interesting. That's, that's that whole point of across eras and how different the NFL is. I think the last thing that we should touch on on, on this podcast, and we'll have a... Our season recap and what to look for in, in the Drew year of 2020. But what is next for the New England Patriots? You said that you don't think that it's the end of a dynasty, but I think with with Josh McDaniels more than likely going to become a head coach for some god awful reason this off season. Depending when you look at what he did with Denver, and then I think what's even worse is what he did to the Colts a couple of years ago to renege on that deal. But I think the Colts are in a better situation with Frank Reich anyway. But with with Josh McDaniels probably not going to be as be there as the offensive coordinator, and Tom Brady's going to have to learn and work with a new offensive coordinator. I, I I just I I I and the way that everyone's talking right now, I mean, it, it, I I don't know. I part of me is hoping that the last pass Tom Brady ever throws at Gillette Stadium is a pick six to a former Patriot on a team coached by a former Patriot. There's a there's a lot of 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 nice sort of like that's very nice into like a little ball and it all fits very nicely into this little story and it's perfect right it's all sort of like that this is all perfect right here it all fits in this little scenario this tiny little scene and it's just perfect and it's, it's in it's a, a lockbox it's in a, it's in a box that's locked it's a lockbox and the strategy behind that i think is that we all well played thank you we all we all want that to be the ending i don't see it and here's what i mean i don't think tom brady wants that to be the end I don't think Tom Brady wants to put on a different uniform and go somewhere else and have to learn a new offense. I, I, I just don't think he wants to do that. I don't think he wants to end his career uh, throwing a pick six like you just described. I, I think that that's, that's, that's co- contrary to anything that he actually wants. What I think he wants is to sign a, like a two-year contract with New England, maybe play one more year and then retire, and and at least go out without that that sort of bitter taste in his mouth. I, 
I just don't see him. Here's the thing. He either retires and walks away or he plays another year or two in New England, but I do not believe that he plays anywhere else. So your two options are retirement or come back. And and I think he comes back. I just don't think he's really done. And can can the can the Patriots say we don't want you? Can you imagine Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick saying, "Yeah, we're not going to we're not going to, re- you know, sign a new contract with you. You're going to have to play somewhere else." I just don't see them being able to do that. What it would do to that fan base would be would be great. I would love that. I would enjoy it. It's one of my least favorite fan bases, but I, I just there's no way they can do that, right? Am I being too sentimental here? Yes, because oh. I think I think Bill Belichick would absolutely do it, and I think he will do it. And I I think we could leave it at this. I have no doubt, and I I can see this happening. Tom Brady in Las Vegas. Ooh, leaving Las Vegas. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify.